Amen. At, at this point, I'd like to introduce our speaker. We have uh, Paul and Sue Whittingstall with us coming from uh, the long last, long last land of Ontario. I don't know why they're lost. Just flowed with long, far away. <laughs> no, we won't. There's lots of jokes about Ontario at the, at the retreat we were just at. I'll just uh, hold off doing that. So, Paul, if you want to come up here, just kind of as I introduce you. So, Paul is the Great Commission Collective Regional Director for Canada. And that's, the, that's a group of churches that we're a part of. We're a part of the Great Commission Collective. It's a group of, it's a church plant network, and they exist to plant churches and strengthen leaders. Uh, there's now 22 churches in Canada. We, we, we're praying for Redemption Edmonton. They hope to be like kind of officially start in September of this year. There'll be 23. God is doing a work uh, here in Alberta. And so I, I met Paul a, a few years ago just as we were considering um, coming on as a church planter and considering Red Deer. And, and Paul kind of said, hey, we have two questions to ask. Are, are you the guy? And at one, I don't think I am the guy, but God brought the people. Uh, and then the secondly, is Red Deer the next place? And actually the answer to that was, no, Red Deer's not the next place, but uh, God had other plans, and he, he desired to build this church in this time in the way that he would do it. Uh, so, Paul, and so when I ask you to do this, we didn't have a men's retreat planned beforehand. So Paul spoke this morning uh, at the men's retreat. He just drove out here. He's speaking with us. Him and his wife, Sue, they go back to Camor because they're out of church service in Camor tomorrow morning. <laughs> so they're getting like the, the, a view of central Alberta and the mountains. And so you just get to see how beautiful it is. But <laughs> thank you for taking the time. Thank you for coming out here and being willing to share God's word with us. Uh, it, it's absolutely uh, blessed to have you. And so we're just so uh, thankful to be part of the Great Commission Collective. Uh, with the pastors that we're with today, just to let you know, like, not only do we re I receive training from them, encouragement, they helped us financially get going, and we have like-minded uh, brothers and sisters in the Lord. We're, we're praying for maybe a church in Manitoba. <laughs> Saskatchewan. We have Ontario. We have Alberta. There's one in BC. Wherever God would guide and direct, we'll, we'll see next. But uh, Paul, just let me pray for you, and, and I'll pass it on to you. Lord, I thank you so much for uh, this servant uh, that you have set aside uh, for this special direction to the Great Commission Collective at this time. I thank you, Lord, how you've blessed the, the fruit of his efforts that he gets to go around not only Canada, the states, around the world, and see, Lord, what you're doing in this network. And I pray, Lord, you would use this servant as you used him this morning to uh, make much of Jesus Christ. I pray, uh, Holy Spirit, you'd anoint his words. You would give us open ears and open hearts as he preaches your word, and we would have a greater eyes to see the glory of you, the living God. Oh, God, so use your servant now to proclaim your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. It is a great privilege for me to be here and to open God's word. I'm going to talk a little bit about GCC first and then jump right into the message. So get your Bibles and get them opened up to Isaiah chapter 6 because that's where we will be going in the text tonight. But 
as uh, Sue and I were driving up here, I was giving some thought and remembering first impressions and meetings and uh, uh, Sue and I meeting with uh, Chris and Rebecca out in their home in Cochrane. We had spaghetti, I think, that night we were at your place. And, uh, and, and then just considering what God was doing, how he would work. Uh, see, GCC doesn't plant churches. Churches plant churches. And so the connection with um, Redemption North and uh, Trevor Peacock was so important in this. And then, but there's always the, how do you make it all happen? And, and that the church in Durham, Ontario, and financing through there, and their elders taking hold of that. Uh, this truly is a team effort. We thank God for it. But this church, what is happening here is a work of God. I don't know whether you realize it. Maybe you forget it. It's a miracle. It's a miracle of what has happened here. Uh, let me tell you, the first time Sue and I drove through the mountains coming, we were, lived in British Columbia. We were moving back to Ontario. I know that will make no sense to any of you, except that's where our family was, okay? But we were moving back, and as we were driving out of the mountains, I remember looking over at my wife, and there's just tears rolling down her face. And I go, like, what's up? What's up? And she goes, I don't know if we'll ever see this again. And we just kind of come through Canmore. And, and, and I was reminded this morning when I woke up, because I was preaching at 9 o'clock, and I, I put the drapes, I opened the drapes, and I looked at the, the three sisters, the mountains in Canmore, and just in awe of God's working. But you know what? If we're not careful, every time you drive through Canmore and you see the mountains, they just mean a little bit less to you because it becomes normative. It's just what you always see. And so I want to remind you, before we get into the Word tonight, just how awesome what God has done here and how he's worked in the planting of this church. Um, about two and a half years ago, uh, Trevor Peacock, Meldon Lutzer, myself, and, and a worship guy, uh, we did a little tour. We called it the Western Tour, and we came out and we visited in Red Deer. We were at the Hampton Inn. I don't know if anybody was even there that night who's here now. There you go. Okay, yeah, you folks were there. And, and then we went up to Edmonton, and then we went over to Saskatoon. And we did that little three-day tour because we were just seeking the Lord as to what's next out here in the West. What's next in Alberta? There's a huge passion to plant churches uh, in your churches, and that's an amazing thing. So we came back, the three of us, and all the great wisdom we had. We're like, we think Saskatoon will be first. And then we think Edmonton will be next. And then we'll see what happens in Red Deer. In his heart, a man makes his plans, God says, but God orders our steps, right? We had that like 100% wrong, right? There's already a church here. There's already a plant now happening in Edmonton, and we're trusting the Lord for what he might do in Saskatoon and all over the Western provinces, but God is at work. So then we kind of go through the process, and I remember the day that um, Meldon and Trevor and I, we met with you, and you know, we're kind of grilling him a little bit to find out, is he the guy, and what will that look like, and that all went really well. We were very thankful for it, but there wasn't clarity yet, and, 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 and then as God began to work, and Red Deer became the focus, it's like, okay, that, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And so we launched this whole, we, not me, the churches launched this, we're going to plant this church like the day COVID strikes. And they don't even live in this city. So if you, you think about the miracle that's happened. And then so we come out of COVID and here we go and here we are. Just don't forget, 
right? Don't forget the goodness of the Lord and what he's done. I pinch myself every time I think about this church and what God has done, how he has ordered the steps so that you would be here together like this. And and God's work is an awesome thing. And uh, be encouraged in that we are and so thankful for what God is and God is working. Um, I think of right now our Western churches, as mentioned, we have the church plant here in Red Deer. Um, Lord willing, we will launch a church in Edmonton, probably September. And, um, and then there are uh, the new church, brand new church. Tomorrow I've got to be back in, in Canmore because the church in Canmore, a Crossway Community Church is joining the GCC. And, uh, and then at the same time, there are four more churches in the West. I can't tell you where they are or what they are because their people don't even necessarily know yet. But leaders are praying and are considering that, that they would come and join us in this movement, a, a movement of churches that plant churches and strengthening leaders. And so we just rejoice in how God is working out here in the West. God's working in the East as well, but you don't care about that. So we'll talk about the West and what God is doing here, and we're just so thankful for that. But then God is allowing us to work around the world. And um, I've had a, a lot of opportunity to be in Romania, in Eastern Europe, and serving there. And, uh, and then with all that's gone on in the Ukraine, we have a church in Kiev, two churches in Moldova, churches in Romania. And our churches in Canada have raised... It might be over this now, but just about a quarter of a million dollars to support the work in, in whatever is needed in the days that are ahead um, in Eastern Europe. And uh, that's so amazing how God is working, giving us this unity to serve together. And so you're part of a, a group of churches that desires um, to see the word of God preached, to see um, Jesus Christ exalted. And that brings me to the text for tonight. I want to talk about the glory of God. I want to talk about the glory of God. You can't preach one sermon and cover the glory of God. And we're going to go to heaven and examine the glory of God for the rest of eternity and we'll never understand all of the glory of God. But I want to talk about tonight being broken by the glory of God. Um, A.W. Tozer said, it's doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Um, the Shorter Catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The vision statement of your church says, lost people saved, saved people matured, matured people multiplied, all for the glory of God. If, if you don't get this right, this is a waste of time. And so we want to talk about this tonight. We want to talk about the glory of God and being broken, broken in an amazing, in a good way, by the glory of God. And so your pastor tipped me off that you guys do something. I used to do it every week in Markham because I just think it's a cool thing to do, and that's to stand together when you read the word of God. So would you stand with me? And I want to read Isaiah chapter 6, uh, verses 1 to 8. We want to honor him as we read his word. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hands a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am. Send me. Father, would you give us ears to hear your word tonight? Father, would you put us away from our minds all of the things that are going on that can be a distraction? Would your spirit help us to zero in on what you want to talk to us about tonight? Give us ears to hear. Give us minds to be able to comprehend. And then through the power of your spirit, give us faith to live these things out for the fame of our Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31, it says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, it's like, okay, so that's pretty narrow, but then, or whatever you do. So now it's just broadened up to our whole lives, not only when we're eating and drinking, but when we're in the workplace, when we're in school, when we're with our family, wherever we are, do all to the glory of God. Um, if you're a businessman, you, you do your work to the glory of God. God allows you to serve in the church and serve for his glory out of what you accomplish in your work. Um, your pastor, it's his job. But he's working for the glory of God. And so often we can lose that when you are a mom at home with the kids and, and they're just a pain in the neck and because apparently they can be, I've forgotten, but um, they can be. And, but are you raising your kids for the glory of God? Or are you raising them because you think they're going to be a hockey player or they're going to be whatever they're going to be? Um, no. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Of God. A few things we want to see right out of the text. Um, if we're going to be broken by his glory, if we're going to serve for the glory of God, here's the first thing. You must see his glory. You must see his glory. Look, in verse 1 it says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Uzziah was a good king in general. He didn't finish well. Um, and so you wonder, so what, what's the importance of the statement, in the year King Uzziah died? I'm not sure. I don't know for sure. Was it just a marker in time? Or was it because there was a huge transition, this guy who had done so well and now is not doing so well and there's upheaval that's going on? I don't think it really matters. In the year King Uzziah died, here's the point. Now, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah has a vision that forever would change him. I've never had a vision like that. Um, he had a vision like that. And he wrote it down. And so I think about how does the Lord reveal himself to me? How does the Lord reveal himself uh, to us? And so here's a few ways God reveals himself to us. God reveals himself to us through his creation. 
the splendor and the majesty of the mountains. And again, like I live in Ontario and we got some beautiful lakes and all the rest of it, but we got nothing compared to Canmore, right? And, uh, but even driving up here, coming out of, of Calgary and you kind of come through the little bit of the hills and then out on to the plains and there's some more hills here. Like, it's like, it is beautiful what God has given us. And we need to see God in his creation. I believe in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the one who is the creator and the one who is the sustainer all of that, he is the one, we see his handiwork and we say, that is awesome what God has made. God is awesome in who he is. He is magnificent beyond what we can understand and we see it in his creation. Psalm 8, 3 and 4 says, when I look at your heaven, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? I used to have meetings in Toronto and I'd have to drive back. We live two hours north of Toronto in Muskoka. And as you would get north of Barrie and Aurelia, it'd be dark. And, and one day I was driving up Highway 11. There's this nice long stretch and, and the northern lights were just like, right in front of me, right? It was a wonder I didn't end up in the ditch. It was just amazing to see. That was God's handiwork. That is God's creation. And we need to see it and understand his omnipotence that comes and is demonstrated in his creation. Um, we see God, he reveals himself in creation. God reveals himself in conscience, in the heart of man. Every man knows that there is a God. Romans 2, 14 and 15 says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. A God has built in every one of us a sense of who God is. And, and you hear people, when things go wrong, crying out to God, who never cried out to God before, because it's built in us. God has put that in the heart of every man, and God has revealed himself through his creation, through conscience. God has revealed himself through his word. He's given us everything we need uh, for godliness right here. Um, in uh, um, 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training. Um, I, I saw this thing on, I don't know, it was on Facebook or somewhere, and a dad's driving his car, and uh, he says to his daughter, I wish uh, God would speak to me. And his daughter says, Dad, you need to read your Bible. And, he's, and, she, and he says to her, Dad, I, I wish God would speak to me audibly. And she said to him, you need to read it out loud. Right? God speaks to us through his word and he's given us everything we need and it's right here. But if you're never in it and you're never reading it, you're not hearing from the voice of God. Um, God reveals himself. God shows his glory through his word. Obviously, God shows his glory through his son. John uh, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. That's Jesus Christ. But in um, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, it says, Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heirs of all things, through whom also he created the world. God speaks to us through other people, 
through other godly people. Ephesians 4 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And then God speaks to us through dreams and visions. Um, now, I think you have to be careful with this one, because if I meet another person who tells me, God told me, and then they tell me something that goes against God's word, I think my head might explode, right? Um, God, God never communicates in a vision or a dream something that's in conflict with his word. It will always be in alignment with his word. But God speaks to us that way, and people have seen that. We, we've had some... Um, um, Iranians saved in our church during COVID. We've probably baptized more Iranians in our church in Markham, where I serve as an elder, than, than the rest of our church together. God's doing an amazing thing in that community. And, and some of them tell the story how they had a vision. They had a vision. I've heard those stories. I was like, okay, that's way out of my league. I've never had that stuff. But, but God's doing that and, and working in them. And it's cool when you, when you go to baptize Iranians in your service because their families at home are under the risk of, of great persecution. And so in our church, we, 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 on video, we record the first service and put it out. And then so if there's Iranians who are getting baptized, they get baptized at the 11 o'clock service because we're not ever putting that public, not because they don't want it, but their moms and dads aren't saved. They're, these are young adults, but, and they just won't want to put them into a place. But, but God is working, but so often, some of them have had this experience where God has shown himself to them in a vision. Um, we see it in scripture, Joseph in Genesis, Joseph in Matthew, here in Isaiah. And all I would say to that is be careful, test, 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 test it against the word of God to see whether it's true, but it's a way that God shows himself. And if you want to be broken by the glory of God, you have to see his glory. Verse one says, um, it goes on and it says this, um, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, there's a throne in heaven, and the Lord God sits on the throne. Now, regular people don't sit on thrones. I don't sit on a throne. Judges can sit on a throne. Kings sit on a throne. And those are the kind of people who get to sit on a throne. Um, anyone might sit on a chair, but sovereign kings sit on a throne. Judges sit on a throne. Those with pro power and proper authority and sovereignty, they sit on thrones. Isaiah was not alone in seeing God's throne. Almost everyone in the Bible who had a vision of heaven was taken to heaven or wrote about heaven, spoke of God's throne. And Job, David, the sons of Korah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and the apostle John saw God's throne um, and that's the way God reveals himself. In fact, the book of Revelation may as well be called the book of God's throne because God's throne is specifically mentioned more than 35 times. So when Isaiah says, in the year King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord seated upon a throne, that's an important piece for us to understand. You see, the bottom line in our world today, atheism and materialism, they don't believe there is a throne. Um, there is no seat of authority. There is no power that all of the universe will answer to. The bottom line of humanism is that there is a throne, but I sit on the throne. That's what humanism teaches. But the Bible teaches us that God sits on the throne. And it says the train of his robe filled the temple. Um, when weddings happen, so often, 
the bride comes and down the aisle and, and there's this train that comes in behind them. And uh, I always, whenever we did a wedding, I would always tell the maid of honor, your job is to take care of the bride. If the train's not right, you feel free to fix it. I'm not going to center you out. I'm not going to tell you to stop doing it. Um, because you have this. It spoke, when it speaks of kings, it spoke of opulence. It spoke of power. It spoke of strength. And uh, the train of this person's robe filled the temple. If we are going to be broken by the glory of God, we must take the time to see and seek to understand who our God is. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing coming out of the text. We must feel the weight of that glory. We must feel the weight of that glory. Look, look at verse 2. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, they covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. Um, the Hebrews... Um, the word is the idea of the weight of something is what he experienced, the vision of the angels with six wings. Two, they covered their, their faces. That speaks of adoration. They couldn't even look at the king. With two, they covered their feet. That spoke of modesty and submission and surrender. With two, they flew. That spoke of serving. Four wings for adoration and two wings for acts of serving. In verse 3, and the one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. There's a worship fest going on here in heaven. We just came back from the men's retreat. You ever want to hear something cool? You, you put a hundred and, I don't know, 110, 120 men in a room that's made for maybe 90 men and who, who love Jesus and hear them sing. It is awesome to hear that. It was amazing. It wasn't like trying to encourage them to sing. It wasn't trying to get them going. It was like first song, boom, like there it goes. Well, that's nothing compared to what's going on here as he sees this vision of what's going on in heaven uh, with the angels. Um, and they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And why do they repeat holy three times? Well, you know, you probably know this, but in Hebrew language, in Scripture we see this, when something's repeated, it's repeated because it's important. And so the angels are crying out, holy is the Lord, holy is the Lord, holy is the Lord. Um, the word holy or sanctified is the Lord means to be set apart. It means to be set apart. God is so holy, and I am not so holy. And so you think about it this way. It's crying out, holy, 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 or set apart is God, set apart is God, set apart is God. Or I like to think of it like this, not like me is God, not like me is God, not like me is God. Or awesome, awesome, awesome. Okay, now I got my own little bias on this. Hate may be too strong a word, but I'll use it so you understand the illustration. I hate it when people use the word awesome. Like, like that, that guy playing for the Edmonton Oilers. Who is that guy? I don't know. I, don't, don't even go there. Put that puck in the net. That was awesome. No, it wasn't. It was good. It was amazing. I could never do it, but it wasn't awesome. What God did in saving you, that's awesome. What God did in the creation of the world, that's awesome. And so 
Don't go beating each other up about it. Just remind each other, God is awesome. What man does isn't. And, uh, and then if you still are kind of wound up about that, you can blame me for it. But because he cries out, holy, holy, holy is holy. The whole earth is filled with his glory. God's glory is everywhere. Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I will give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Psalm 19, 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies above proclaim his handiwork. Whose glory? Not man's glory, but God's glory. Not a system's glory, but God's glory. Not your glory, but God's glory. His essence, his presence, his transcendence, his character. We see it demonstrated in his attributes. We see him as holy and just and loving and mercy and filled with grace and omnipresent and omnipotent and omniscient. We see him in his creative power. We see him in revelation in the word of God and his son. We see him working in your life. We see our salvation and forgiveness and our growing up and his keeping us um, by the power of his spirit. And we say, you are awesome, God. You are awesome. Verse 4, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. As Isaiah sees this vision, as he sees God on the throne, as he cries out, holy, 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 as they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, the foundations are shaken. Um, Isaiah had only a glimpse of what we know. Isaiah is looking uh, through the eyes and wondering about a Messiah and wondering about God's deliverance and wondering how God was going to do all of this. We live on the other side of the cross. We have the answer. We know the rest of the story. And, and we have this opportunity to, to see what God is doing and how he is working. But he's there in this room. He's there and he sees this vision and the house is filled with smoke. But he didn't understand things like we understand. He didn't understand that who Jesus would be and what he would come to do. Although Isaiah is the prophet who talks about the coming of Christ as much or more than anyone else. For him, it was still out there. It wasn't completed. And you and I have the rest of this story. Jesus in John 17, I glorified you on earth, have accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father... Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Hebrews 1.3, he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty and I. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus has come. Jesus has died. Jesus has risen again. Jesus sits on the right hand of God, making intercession for us. Does that not shake you? Does that not take you to, oh my goodness, look what the Lord has done. Look what he has accomplished to me. God's work is awesome. God in his glory. We call the great exchange 
the work of what Jesus did. The great exchange is found in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isaiah sees God, and he is shaken. When you see the work of Jesus Christ, and so many of you in this room, that has happened in your life. You, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You didn't know where you were going. You had no interest in God. No one comes to God. People, people often say, well, you know, I was on a journey, and I found God. No, actually, that's not what happened. That may be what it looks like to you. But nothing happens if Christ doesn't start the work. Ephesians 2 says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and he made you alive. And no one seeks after God, the Bible says. But the Lord Jesus Christ, that the power of the Spirit reveals himself, and you, you come to Christ. You come to Christ because of what he did, because of what he accomplished, and you turn from sin, and you repent, and you trust Christ. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Um, so not only do you have to see his glory, and not only do you have to feel the weight of his glory, but then you need to be broken by his glory. Uh, turn in your Bibles over in the New Testament to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And verses 9 to 11. It says there, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, what? To the glory of God the Father. To the glory of God the Father. You see, one day, every knee will bow. That's what it says. Every knee will bow. And you're like, well, yeah, of course, all the believers will be on our knees before the Lord. That's not what it says. It says every knee will bow. Whether you've trusted Jesus Christ or not, you will bow the knee. And I want to be real careful because if you're here tonight and you've never trusted Christ, I'm, I'm not here to like slam you with this. I just want you to understand what God's word says. You say, well, I don't believe it. So, well, it doesn't matter whether you believe it. It's true. You might not believe in gravity, but it's true. If I take my wallet out and you say, I don't believe in gravity. Well, you don't have to believe in gravity, but when I drop my wallet, I prove that there's gravity. You say, I don't believe it. Well, I just demonstrated that it's right and it's true. Um, it's every knee will bow. And so every single person in the room is going to be on our faces before God one day. And for the follower of Jesus Christ, it'll be a humbling thing, but it'll be an awesome thing. And it'll be a welcome into the kingdom, and you'll spend eternity with God in heaven. And for those who have rejected Jesus Christ, there will be a, a bowing of the knee and the understanding that Jesus Christ is Lord, but it'll be too late. And it'll be over, and you'll be separated from God for eternity in a place that the Bible talks about as hell. And so we think about being broken by the glory. We have to understand the working of Jesus Christ and how critical it is. And if you're here tonight and you've trusted Christ, how awesome that work is, that Christ reached down and he saved you. And that should motivate us. That should challenge us. That should stir us to live lives for his fame and his glory. The glory of God changes you. 
And it changes you from the inside out. Paul Whittingstall's life verse is, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Psalm 73, 26. My flesh fails, external, and my heart, internal, but God is the strength, this is where God works, God is the strength of my heart, that's where he begins to work, and my portion forever. Um, the glory of God changes you. But look down at verse 5. As, as Isaiah moves through the text and as he's teaching, he says, and I said, woe is me. Basically like, oh my goodness. For I am lost. I am lost. Isaiah's thinking is coming apart. His sense of who he is is being broken by the majesty and the glory and the awesomeness of, of who God is um, there were two things here. First, there was the sight and the sound of the seraphim, the angels. But then secondly, there's this vision of the Lord God. And uh, he is broken. He is broken. Woe is me, for I am lost. I am lost. When you, are, when you see the glory of God, you immediately see your sin. When you see the glory of God, you immediately see how you don't match up, how he is so not like you. So not the way you are. And, and that happened in his life. When you see the glory of God, you see your sin because it's in comparison to his glory. In Isaiah, excuse me, in Psalm 51.4, remember the story of David and his sin with Bathsheba. And then uh, Nathan the prophet confronts him and, uh, and, 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 and he is broken. And he sees his sin in Isaiah 51, excuse me, Psalm 51, verse 4. He says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgments. An interesting verse because David sinned against a whole lot of people in that sin. But when he saw God and saw his sin, all he could see was what he had done in his brokenness toward a holy and an awesome God. Now, when you see your life, the way you lived the last week, the way I lived the last week, when we find ourselves in sin, are we broken because we get caught? Are we broken because of the quality, because of the awesomeness of God, because of his character? And we're like, God, 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 against you and you only have I sinned. And there's all this other stuff that's going on, but God, it's you I've sinned against. See, you'll never have victory over sin in your life so long as you only see it like on this level against the people you've heard and, and until you get your eyes up on the Lord, um, you just never get to a place of a true repentance, true moving forward. You think about the word repentance. Um, repentance means to to turn, to change, and move into a, a new direction. But here's the problem for most of us. It's like, I, I have this problem. I cheat on my taxes or whatever your thing is. Uh, pornography, whatever your thing is, it's like, oh, no, 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 I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw my computer out the window. I'm going to whatever, drive over it with my car. I'm going to put a personal accountability in place. I'm going to do all of those things. And, and so it's like, I'm not going to do that anymore. And you turn, that's repentance, and you start moving in a different direction. But the problem is it's not too long until you're back there again. And you're like, why is that? Why is that? Because repentance is more than a change of direction. Repentance is a change of mind. 
until you think about your sin like God thinks about your sin, you will never have victory over certain things in your life. Satan will always be pulling those things out in front of you. We live in a world that's just filled with all kinds of temptation for all of it. But you will never have victory over sin in your life until you change your mind about your sin. You change your mind when you see your sin like God sees our sin. That's what true repentance is. And so long in my life, it was always like, just turn around and go in a new direction. And that's called good works. Just, just try harder, try harder. And we need to see our sin like God sees our sin. And, and as Isaiah, this is revealed to him, he's broken. Woe is me. I am lost. He sees his repentance. But when you see the glory of God, you immediately seek and receive uh, reconciliation with God. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all and all kinds of unrighteousness. And I am so thankful that God, when my 70 times seven ran out, didn't say, that's it, you're done. Like I'd have been, I'd have been done a long time ago. And God's, God just keeps on and keeps on and keeps on as we, we struggle. I, I call sanctification, which is growing up in Christ, is like stumbling forward. And, and yet we get up and the Lord dusts us off and we move forward and, because God loves to reconcile. God loves to reconcile. Well, verses six and seven. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he'd taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. And there's an altar. And he touched my mouth. It's an interesting picture that happens here. Because in the picture, there's no pain. Like, you think about verses 5 and 6. And I said, woe is me, I am lost. And then one of the seraphims flew to me, having in his hands a burning coal. And he put it on my tongue from the altar. There's a picture. It's a picture. It's a vision he's having, right? It's a vision he's having. But there's no pain. There's no suffering because of God's grace and God's working in us. Why wasn't there pain? Why wasn't there suffering? Um, um, maybe because of God's majesty. Maybe because just of God's perfect blessing for us. But he touched me. When we come in repentance to God, there is always reconciliation. There is always restoration. And then it says, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. There's the awesome picture of the work of salvation in Jesus Christ. What Jesus Christ has accomplished in us, the great exchange is my sin is placed on him and his righteousness is placed on me and, and God looks at me through the lens of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for me and I get carte blanche. That's French, by the way. Carte blanche means a white sheet and there's nothing else on it. It's all gone because of what Christ has done. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. If you're here tonight and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, you don't come to God by trying harder or working smarter. God's standard is not, did you do your best? God's standard is, did you trust the one who can take your sin as far as the east is from the west because of the finished work in salvation? And Jesus, we're, we're taught to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's the work that God does. That's what he does for us. 
That's what he does in us. You have to be broken. Broken in your sinfulness. Coming to Christ in salvation. In our walk with God. Broken in our sinfulness. And coming to restoration and forgiveness, which is freely offered to us. Broken by his glory. And then here's the last thing. You have to receive, excuse me, you have to respond to his glory. We have to respond to his glory. Isaiah goes through all of this, and then we come to verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. It's interesting that God asks a question. Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Does God wonder about anything? Of course not. Does God question things he doesn't know the answer to? Of course not. What does God not know? God knows everything. And so the purpose of the question is for us. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then Isaiah says, I'll go. I'll go. Send me. A picture of willing surrender. I'm a willing servant willing to surrender. Lord, I'll do whatever it is you want me to do. And so here's my question for you before we get into just a couple things to finish. What's God put on your heart that he would desire to, you to do in serving him? What is it? What's that thing? Is there a person that God's put on your heart to reach out to, to serve or to help? Is it to serve in the church, to serve or to help? What a cool story when I got here to find out that guys were driving back from the retreat, other people were coming in to help set up, and they got here and it was all done. That's, that's amazing. Just thank the Lord for that. What a small little blessing, but an amazing little blessing. Now, who will go for us? Who will serve? Here I am, Isaiah says. You send me. Now, what God sent him to was difficult. It was hard. It would, it would be beyond what most of us could even fathom. But when he saw the glory of God, he said, it doesn't matter. I'll do, God, whatever you want me to do. And I don't know you. I don't, other than these guys in the front row, I don't really know anybody in this room from Adam. I do know this, though. God's placing things on your heart, things that you should do, things that you should respond to in serving. And, and you're like, well, I don't know. I don't know if I got time. I don't know if I want to. It may be, it may be troubling. People are obnoxious. I've met some of the people in your church. They're pretty obnoxious. I, I'm not sure I want to work with them. I'm not sure I want to invest in my coworkers. I'm not sure that's what I wanted. Here's your problem. Your eyes are out here instead of your eyes up here. We get our eyes on the Lord and brokenness that comes. And then, and then, and then, then Christ says, where will you go? The, the, the fields are right to harvest. Who's going who's gonna to serve me? Isaiah says, I will. I will. I'll serve and surrender. I'll serve in my worship. I'll serve in obedience. I'll serve in whatever God wants me to do. I will serve the widow or the orphan or the hard to love or the special needs. I will serve in the community. I will serve in the church. Who will go? I will go. I will go, Lord. I will go, Lord, because you are awesome. And when I see who you are, I want, I want to be about your business. And so what God, what's God placing on your heart as you come to this church and serve in this place for the glory of God? I'd like to finish my messages with this question, so what? So what? Just helps me to, in my mind to drive things home. When Isaiah saw the glory of God, everything changed. 
It wasn't going to be easy. You read the next verses, you find out how hard it was going to be. And yet he was faithful and he would serve because he was broken in the best sense of that term by the glory of our awesome God. And he goes, Lord, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, that's what I'll do for your fame and your glory. That was his story. Would that be my story? Would that be your story? As we serve the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, rejoice in the finished work of Jesus Christ because he is an awesome, awesome God. Let's pray. Lord God, this is your word. Thank you for the illustration of Isaiah. Thank you for the, the brokenness you brought him to. Lord, would you bring us to that kind of brokenness? We're so prideful in our lives so often. I am so prideful in my life so often. Lord, we need to see you. We need to see the king of glory. We need to see you on the throne. We need to hear the seraph, and we need to cry out to you. And, and then, Lord, we need to be broken, and, but yet restored because you are the God who is the restoring God. And then, Lord, we respond. Lord, whatever you want, that's what I'll do. Whether it's in my home, whether it's in my workplace, whether it's in this church, not to us, not to us, but to your name, God, be all of the glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.